You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I got one of the most interesting guests I think I've ever had on this episode, Mr. Sean Swarner. Sean, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it, man. I know we were just talking about personal things before we started recording, but I'm, I'm still thinking about that. And <laughs> Yeah, kind of just like, the story is like, yeah, I almost died yeah. and uh, in the show. Like, All right, let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. But uh, no, man, thank you so much for being on the show. I know uh, making the trip over here from Colorado. Um, I'm very, very excited for this one. You are literally the most interesting, um, I think, human being. I, I was just reading, you know, all the stuff in front of me of everything that you've done and what you what you do and who you are. Um, man, it's a complete honor to have you on the show. I just, I, like, I'm super, super honored and I'm very grateful for this. I appreciate that. I'm thinking, isn't that like, the Takate commercial or something like that. Dos Equis or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. No, you are way more interesting than them. Um, man, you've been, you've summited Everest and the seven mountain, you know, seven peaks, seven of, summits, seven summits. Yeah. You've beaten terminal cancer twice. You've skied the North pole and the South pole and you ran the world triathlon. The world, world champion. It's a, I know it's a mouthful. It is at the time it was the Ford Ironman world championship, but it's just the Hawaii Ironman world championship. Yeah, and like, Holy crap. Like I, I cannot <laughs> wait to get into this. Um, you know, you're an author, you, you've done a lot of, a lot of things and, and you, you, you speak all over, you talk all over, you're on podcasts all over the place. Um, again, just a, an honor to have you on the show. I want to get into just your quick story. Um, you know, of kind of how you, you know, I know that there's a, you know, an amazing story about beating cancer and then, you know, going and, and making that decision to, to do these crazy, awesome things and pushing yourself where very few men and women, human beings have been in the world and done what you do. Like you're the only one that's done. I mean, it, right. literally no one's done what you've done. Um, like that's just, I don't even know, like it's like royalty <laughs> sitting in front of me. Um, but yeah, let's just get into your story. And I'm, I'm really, really excited about this one. I, I appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's interesting because all of the stuff that I've done, I think manifested from everything that I went through because everything that, that I've accomplished with the, uh, Everest, the seven summits, all those adventures, those external um, expeditions. You know, I think going through the cancers taught me how to handle that. So I think before I went on all these expeditions, I was going through my own inspedition. Right. Right. So this right. inward journey. No, I love I, that. And like, we always, I mean, we, we go through things in life and then we always want to know why, 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 why. And then there's quite often times where you have that little moment and you're like, oh, that's why I went through that to, to, to yeah. prepare me for this or to, you know, to, to, you know, maybe you beat, like, I mean, you know, when you maybe beat cancer of like that mindset of like, Oh, I, if I can do that, I can do this. Well, I, absolutely. And I, I think there are certain things that happen like on, on Everest. Um, I, I lost a friend. I remember looking up at the mountain and he went up in a storm to camp three. So just to give you a little background, there's like, there, there's base camp, camp one, two, three. And then from four, which is a 26,000 feet, also called the death zone. Wow. Um, wonderful vacation destination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to the death zone for the weekend. Right. Um, from there, you shoot up to the summit and come back down. So I was at camp two, which is like advanced base camp. He went to camp three in a storm, couldn't find his tent, 
no food, no water, two days, two nights, delirious on his way down, misclipped on a guide rope and tumbled over 3,000 feet into a crevasse. Wow. And I remember being in that same storm, you know, 2,000 feet lower, a little safer than he was at camp too. And after it passed, I could look up and see where he landed because I could see where the snow was blood red. Really? Right. And then like the streak that came down where he fell into the crevasse. So, wow. I had to go up past essentially where he died. And my thought was how many people on Everest have died doing the same thing I'm trying to do? Right. Like what would make me worthy to do this? So then I get to, I get to the uh, camp three and I eat my dinner that night. It's like dehydrated beef stew. It's like the spiral noodles, the, the little cubed carrots, you yep. know, the, the green peas yep. and the awesome chunks of beef. Chowed that down about nine hours later when I woke up, everything had to come back out. But I could still see those spiral noodles, the cubed carrots and the little peas. So my body wasn't digesting anything. It was shutting down. Wow. But everybody else who was on the same schedule as us, they left like other expeditions. They left camp three to camp four, no problem. Went from camp four to the summit. Weather turned bad. They turned around and they lost their opportunity to climb. Wow. I came down literally with altitude-induced swelling of the brain, slept on oxygen at camp three for one day, and then went up the day after. Weather was perfect. So at that point when I was vomiting, I was getting this stuff out, it reminded me of when I was going through my treatments because the first cancer, I was vomiting for 36 hours straight. I can't even imagine that. You know, and, oh. and I, I gained 60, 70 pounds from the, the, the prednisone, which is a steroid. And I remember when I was vomiting on the mountain, it took me back to battling through the cancer when I was a kid. And I'm like, I've been through worse than this. Right. You know, I know I can continue forward. And the reason I can continue forward is because when I was going through that first cancer, 13 years old, 13, 14, eighth grade, I remember being on my hands and knees in the shower, literally just sobbing. Because my hair was falling out in chunks, was clogging up the drain, the shower water was rising up, and I was just pulling the, scooping chunks of hair out of the drain, crying my eyes out. And I started thinking about what my friends were doing that same day that I was getting ready for school. Like, what were they doing? Right. You know, when you're, when you're in the eighth grade, for, you know, say in high school, you're worried about what? Your girls, mm-hmm. where are you going to sit at lunch? Right. You know, I didn't give a crap about any of that stuff. I didn't care at all. Right. So I, I realized that I had two choices in that moment. I could fight for my life or give up and die. And I wasn't going to give up and die. But I also realized that I wanted to focus on, I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living. You know, right. And I, I got that perspective at 13 years old. So going back to Camp 3 on the side of Everest, this whole thing is going to tie together. Mm-hmm. I didn't focus on not dying. I focused on making it to the top. And so many people, when they're going through their lives, they're thinking, okay, I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want to avoid. And most of the time it happens because that's where your energy and your tension is focused. As opposed to focusing on the avoidance of what you don't want, focus on what you do want. Right. So going through these cancers really taught me a lot about how to overcome adversity. And I've used that in my daily life on these expeditions and everything. Wow. That's amazing. I, I totally agree. And you know, we always talk about, you know, on this podcast and even in our company is like, we play to win. We don't play not to lose. Perfect. Right. Like you, 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 we go out there to win the game and we're focused on winning and making everything that we can, you know, making sure that we have a game plan accordingly. It's not, we go out there, Hey, the game plan is just not to lose guys. Cause then all you're right. focusing on is not, not like no one, no coach in the world is with, Hey guys, we're going to the Super Bowl. No, just don't lose. Don't today. lose. Yeah. Like what? Like, no, like you've got to 
do the necessary things to win the game. And I love how you put it of, you know, you're just not focused. You're, you're sitting there in, you know, your tent and you're just kind of probably having this little fork in the road of like, you can either, you know, make the decision of, okay, I'm, I'm just going to summit and just, I just don't want to die or no, I'm going to live. I'm going to take every step with like a, with, with more energy and more pride. And like, I'm sure that there's psychological, there's something psychological going on where it's like your body feels that. And it's like, I'm going to like Absolutely. feed off of that because the mind, I mean, the mind is a powerful thing. I mean, I truly believe it can heal you and kill you. And like framing that in a way where you're, where you're like, Hey, every step is, is living and I'm going to live this life and I'm going to summit and you know, your body, you know, will follow. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things that I also did when I was going through my treatments for both of them, going through both cancers, I visualized myself in using proper vivid visualization, not from like the third person point of view. Oh, Hey, look what I'm doing No, right. Like first person point of view. I know what I'm doing. And then I, I used more senses, like the sense of smell, touch, taste, sound, all that stuff. And then I pictured myself in the future doing something. For me, it was the winning the 50-meter breaststroke, you know, going back and forth, and then touching the wall, turning around, and seeing me body lengths of every, ahead of everybody else. Wow. And that happened. Right. So on Everest and all these other mountains, I picture myself on the, on the top. But the, the, the key component is, and a lot of people don't get this, is to, to make it real in your mind's eye, to make your mind and your body believe it, you have to attach emotion to it. So right. how does it feel when I'm reaching that goal? How do I feel when I'm taking those last two or three steps to the top of the world? How right. does it feel when I touch that wall and look back? How does it feel when you get that contract? Right. You know, when you, when you outsell everybody. Right. You know, that's, that's what's going to continue to to pull you forward when you're going through any obstacle that gets in your way. I totally agree. I mean, that, that emotional attachment and that feeling you get is, is you can't even explain it, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's totally different and you have to, but I mean, but your mind also has to be, you know, dialed in to be able to make that happen, which, you know, like we're, we're a byproduct of the circumstances and, you know, our childhood has a lot to do with, you know, how we operate now, but you know, you can either use cancer over every reason why you can't do things. Like I kind of feel a little bit like an idiot because we were talking about, <laughs> you know, like, you know, me going to Kilimanjaro with you. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do that because of all these things. And I'm like literally sitting here thinking, I'm like, dude, you only have one lung. Right. What's next? Next, next you've excuse. had, can, you know, cancer twice. <laughs> I'm like, I, I better start going and working out. Right. Like, you know, we're, we, I'm, you know, but it's just, God, man, I kind of feel like an idiot, but like, it's just, uh, but it's the truth. I mean, you know, I just kind of made excuses. I'm like, oh, here's why I can't you do it. And you're like, oh, okay. And then. Now we're literally here talking to me like, no, it's every reason why I had to do it and why I was prepared to do it. Like I've done hard things. I've been through, you know, I felt those sense of accomplishment when everybody told me I couldn't. And I've gone through two terminal cancers where you said that, you know, earlier before the show, we were talking where you literally were read your, your, read my last rights. I was in a coma for a year of my life too. And that's, geez. I mean, like (laughs) there's so many reasons why, I mean, there are so many reasons you could say, Hey, I'm not going to do it because of this. I'm not going to do it because of that. And you know, I'm just going to, poor me and you know, whatever, but you attacked life and lived your life. I mean, that, that's, there's so much to be said there. That's, it's, it's unbelievable because a lot of people would just say, you know, I'm just going to do, you know, life, life came at me. It wasn't fair. And I'm just going to, you know, meander through life and yeah, die, but, you know? <laughs> but you, you have like, no matter what happens to you, you know, no matter what situation you're in, for me, it was going through those two cancers, being the side of Everest, the side of Denali, <clears throat> the side of Denali, I, I fell a hundred feet. 
You know, my life wow. flashed before my eyes. I was roped up to a climbing partner. But regardless of what situation you're in, you might not have a choice. Right. You know, I couldn't change the fact that I had cancer. But what I could change was how I reacted to it. Right. So I could choose in my mind how I wanted to react. So if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you want to try this? You want to do that? You want to climb Kilimanjaro? The first thought you have is probably what's your reality. Right. You know, I can't do that. Well, if you think you can or you can't, you got your answer right there. Right. You're right both ways. Right. So going through these two cancers, I've, I've learned so much about the mind-body connection, how to move forward through those adversities and how to truly live and not just be alive. Right. No, that's amazing. So tell me about, like, I'm sure when you're at base camp four and you're about to go to the summit and there, I mean, there's a lot of racing through your mind, right? I'm sure that there's a lot of things going on and how's this going to happen? What's going to happen? Like walk me through, cause I'm sure every step is painful. Oh, every, sure. every, every step. And it's you're- cold as heck. Like you literally can get frostbite on anything that's exposed. I mean, you're in extremely uncomfortable clothes. It's very hard to walk in. Like, <laughs> like a stay puff marshmallow. Right. Man. And like every, how, so how long is it from base camp four to summit to base camp four? From, okay. So from the last camp to the summit and back, I left at about 1030, summited at 932 in the morning. So we'll just round it up and say 11 hours. Wow. And then like four hours down. The thing is when so it's 11 when you, hours up, four hours down. Yeah. Back wow. to the camp. But, but what people don't understand, like when you get to base camp, right, you still have to establish those other three camps that we talked about before. Right. And I got to base camp April 8th, summited May 16th. It was a month. So it's almost days. a month and a half. Yeah. Most people don't realize that. They think, oh, you just show up here and you kind of go up here, next camp, next camp. I thought it was like 10 days. Or no, couple, you're, it's a wow. month and a half. So you're, you're there sleeping. It's commitment. In a, in a tent, absolutely. You're not showering for, for a month and a half. Wow. I mean, it's miserable. Wow. But go, going up into that extreme altitude, like most 99.9% of the people are wearing oxygen masks, oxygen tank in the back of your, 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 your backpack. But you are literally, to give you an idea, taking one step and then breathing 10, 15 times. One step breathing 10 or 15 times. So if you're going, say, five, five feet in a minute, you're, you're, you're moving pretty fast. Really? Yeah. It's, your body, there's not enough oxygen up there right. to sustain life, essentially. Right. So the longer you stay in the death zone, the more your body deteriorates. So I'm, I'm about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, on a good day, and I weighed, at the time, maybe 180, 185 pounds. Right. Right. Adding in the time of travel, the time I spent in Kathmandu, all that stuff, hiking up there takes about a couple, a week and a half to get up there. So all in all, say two months, right? I lost about 30 pounds. I came back weighing 150, 155 pounds. Wow. That's unbelievable. Is that from just, well, I'm sure it's a combination of your body's just in hyperdrive, just burning and burning and burning and probably not a great, great, I mean, you had hydrated beef stew so it's not like, it's not like there's a buffet with a Michelin right. chef up at the top feeding you yeah you know nutrition that you it's kind of like hey we're just gonna survival okay this it's is gonna get you and you know gonna go up and go down and you need roughly roughly twelve thousand calories a day just to maintain your weight really which which i mean that's impossible which is why people come back from everest they're emaciated right i did not know that man i i'm on a diet right now where i'm supposed to eat two thousand calories a day and i don't think i've ever hit it Really? I have such a hard time doing it. Yeah, I don't, I forget to eat. Like eating for some reason is the last on my mind. I 
I don't know. I just never think about <laughs> it. It's probably why I've lost like 45 pounds in the last couple. couple hey, it months. could be. Yeah. But, but, but Kilimanjaro is only seven days up and down. That's, that sounds that's a lot doable. better. That's, yeah, that sounds a lot better. So what was it like getting to the top? I mean, when you're like feeling a sense of accomplishment and like every, you just take, I mean, 11 hours just to get, and, and how long are you at the top? Like 20 minutes, 30 minutes really? tops. So you're, you're spending a month and a half to get there and you're spending 30 minutes at the summit. Wow. So everyone's so focused on the goal, so focused on getting this end result. They forget to look at the amount of time spent getting there. Right. And, and if you're not enjoying the process, if you're not enjoying the, the journey, then what's the point? Right. You know, the whole time going up Everest, obviously, I wasn't enjoying it the whole time. No. Right. You know, when my friend died, I was in my tent holding up my fir- the frame of my tent for two days and two nights in a hurricane force winds. You know, that's, wow. that's not fun. Right. Where you have, what, micron thick fabric separating you from death. Right. But you have to have a good sense of humor as well. Right. No, I, I can't even imagine because there's just so many, like, summiting anything, but especially Everest, seems like there's so many things against you saying, do not do this. You can't do this. Like, it will kill you. Like, all these things. And, and to have that mindset where you just keep powering through. I mean, it says a lot, you know, what we're talking about on the show recently of just, like, you know, you can only control what you can control and, you know, think about today and you can't really guarantee tomorrow. But like, especially when you're in a situation like that, it's okay. I'm, you know, I gotta, I'm going to, I'm going to live life today and I'm going to live life, you know, and then the next day I'm going to live life today. Every day. And if you're always thinking about tomorrow, like tomorrow may never come, but then tomorrow seems so so long away, especially if you're sitting in a tent holding your sides up where you're like, Oh yeah, I got to do this for 14 more hours. You know, it's like, Hey, you just like, I can't even imagine what's going through your mind at that point where it's like, can I do this? Am I going to do this? And then, and then what you, know, you said earlier on the show is you had, um, you know, you were vomiting at, at base camp four, right? You had to go to base camp three. And a lot of people I'm sure would just say, you know, it's not for me. I'm just going to keep going down. Oh, most You're like, would, yeah. like, oh no, I'm just going to go down, you know, get oxygen for a day and a half. And then we're going right back up because I'm not quitting. What do you think? Was it, was it the treatments? Do you think that it was life? Like what made you not quit at that moment? I, th- I think, and, and also going back to the, your, your initial question about what was it like at the summit? When I got to the top, I took a flag out that was about this big, right? And it had names of people touched by cancer. The whole time I was climbing, every single step, I had that flag folded up in my chest pocket close to my heart. And it was a reminder of why I was on the mountain. So getting, getting to the summit of Everest, great. That was my ultimate goal. Right. And I wanted to be the first cancer survivor to make it to the top of the world too. But it wasn't just me. It was every single person who's ever been touched by cancer. And we all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's, it's right. a global epidemic now. Right. So one of the reasons I didn't turn around is because I wasn't climbing just for myself. You know, I was climbing for everyone touched by cancer. And then I wrapped that flag around the summit forever commemorating the struggle of cancer patients worldwide. Wow. So when I got to the top, it wasn't just me. It was millions of others. Right. Up there with me. It's so a I, lot of fuel I, I, and energy. Absolutely. So I, I broke down. I started crying. I was just elated. And then I thought to myself, well, shit, I have to go back down. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, now it's another. <laughs> okay, cool, guys. But there's still yeah, a like really I'm, long way down. I'm halfway. Right. That's it. Yeah. Oh, man. that oh, Never even thought about it like that. <laughs> I'm, I have honestly never thought about it that way. Literally, the summit's halfway. It's halfway. Now you, you have to go to, back I mean, down. It's quicker going down, but you yeah. still have to go down. You slip, you die. You know, so you get something gets exposed, you die. You can still get altitude sickness. You can still get sick. Absolutely. Your body's still fighting. I mean, it doesn't matter for a very long time. I mean, you're, I mean, wow. How, so how long after the summit did it take you to get down to, 
you know, different base camps and like down a, to the like bottom. Like a day and a half. Really? Yeah, we went from the summit back to Camp 4, slept at Camp 4, went to Camp 3, cleaned up Camp 3, went to Camp 2, cleaned up Camp 2, went to Camp 1, cleaned up Camp 1, went back to base camp, cleaned up base camp, and then we were out a couple of days. Like, I think three days, three or four days later, I was back in Kathmandu. Wow. I've always just wanted to go to base camp. I just think what, do you, cool. what do you do in October? I don't know. I, I took a group up last October. Really? Yeah. Because so, it's, it's like couple, it's a five, five, six days to base camp or three, four days of base camp. One day to base camp? No, keep going. Oh, longer. Yeah, it's like 10 or 11 days. To base camp? Yeah. You got to walk? Yeah, you have to walk. If you, if you took a helicopter, theoretically, you could take a helicopter, mm-hmm. get up there, and hang out for 30 minutes before you start getting altitude sickness, and you have to fly back out. What's the point? Really? You want to you want to you want to take the process. Like there are these these um, cable bridges that go across the river, uh, you know, a number of times. They're hundreds of feet up off the ground, you know. And as you're walking across, yaks are walking across, and they're kind of making the whole thing do this, really? undulating as as you're going across. But yeah, there's different villages. The culture is amazing. The people are amazing. The views are just unbelievable. And then when you fly back to the Rockies, you feel about this big. Really? Yeah, because wow. you're you're surrounded. Like I remember standing at a in a, on a plateau at 14,700 feet, looking at mountains that are still, you know, 10,000 feet higher than me. That's incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable. So what, what elevation is base camp at? 17.6. I did not know that. Yeah. That's higher than anything. Anything higher. Any, it's higher than anything in the continental U.S. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, to, wait a minute we might need to start working slowly Vinny. don't think you're not coming with me but no and that would be like i've honestly just you know i think it'd be cool to go to base camp just to just to experience the culture and the environment around people that are going up and down and i mean it would be you know incredible to do that so is it you know 10 days in 10 days out of basically or no, no 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 so what we did was we did like i think it was like nine days in uh, we fly into Kathmandu, take it through a tour, do a bunch of things. And I actually, I use the same guy, the same Sherpa who led me up to base camp. I've been friends with him for the past 20 years. Wow. So we're still really good friends. And he took our group up. He organized everything. I, I led us all up there. But we um, do a tour in Kathmandu for a couple of days. Then we fly into Lukla, which is the most dangerous airport in the world. Is it that crazy yeah, plateau like, one that's yeah. on a hill? Yep, oh, yeah. Yep, I yep. watch, I'm super plain nerd, so I just watch instagram all day long people taking off on and off there yeah That's it's, it's crazy because it, like when the planes take off they sh- drop, yep, they drop and then yeah. they, you see them come back i have to show you i have a, a video online um because we took a helicopter back out and we flew in on a plane hiked up to base camp through all these villages and then nine days later we came back out we had a helicopter take off from roughly 15 14 and a half 15 000 feet what's crazy is you know how most of the time a helicopter takes off right and then pulls forward and goes up like mm-hmm. this because it was so heavy and there wasn't enough push, like lift from the blades, the helicopter took up and just went forward and the ground went down. Really? So we, he couldn't go much higher. Wow. And then we flew out back to Lukla and then we took a helicopter from Lukla all the way back to Kathmandu. Wow. Beautiful trip. So about 10 day trip total or 12 day trip total? Yeah, in and out of the country, 12, 14 days. Man, Vinny, we might have to do this. Sounds awesome. I mean, it'll change your life. Well, I mean, you know, like this year, like I definitely want to challenge myself and you know, October, honestly, is a perfect time for me. Cause it's kind of our slow season and it's awkward time between oh, yeah. different things in the RV industry. It pretty much, uh, ends beginning of October, October 15th, essentially, you know, what we say the end of the season, February 15th, to October 15th, it runs in like six month cycles. And so 
Yeah, that might, that's tempting, man. Right. I'd have to work my way hiking, but we'll, we'll figure it out. But um, but that's amazing, man. Like, like being able to push yourself to those limits has to be probably one of the most like amazing attributes of a human being that I've like, like there's so much mind over matter here that I, I can't, like it's hard to even fathom. Right? Like I, I, that's why I want to get there. Like I've always been mm-hmm. wanting, because you know, I always talk about mindset and, and, you know, all these different things, but it's completely different. Like literally being in a place that there's other people like you or you know, not really, you know, like you, not like me, but like you that are summoning up and down, getting to possibly meet people like that. And just being able to like see a real human being that actually pushed their mind and their body so far. Like it's, it's, it's something that you can't really experience in many other places because it's it's literally step by step is is just so hard. Literally step by step. But what it, it's it's also amazing. You don't you don't know what you're truly capable of until you're in that situation. Right. So in an emergency or on the mountains, whatever. So many people in their minds. Oh, this is what I would do. This is how I'd react. Don't give me, don't give me that. Right. You know you don't know until you're in that situation. Like, right. Hey, how did you overcome these cancers and climb Mount Everest? Well, there's there's obviously a. a logical step and progression that I took getting over it. It wasn't just poof, you know, I made it. Right. But anyone who's in that situation has the opportunity to react how they want, but you don't know how you're going to react until you're there. Right. You know, you can practice it over and over and over again, but when the reality, when the, you know, the proverbial shit hits a fan, right. You might freak out. You don't know. Right. So you might get say to Everest base camp and you're starting to freak out or you're doing perfectly well. You don't know until you're there. Right. You know, because your body might handle it differently. Who knows? But you do have this, right? You know, in your back pocket to really help you along when you find that deeper purpose. So if you're just going up there and like, oh, I want to make it to base camp just to check a box, great. You know, right. if if something comes up, you're probably not going to have that willpower to take another step. But if you're doing it for, say, your grandpa, maybe he passed away from cancer, whatever, you know, or you you want to do it for your family. You know, hey, I want to share these stories with my family. And if you have that deeper purpose, and it, which goes back to your personal core values of why you're doing things, then if something happens to you, you're like, okay, I'll take a breather. Why am I here? Let's evaluate, you know, the dangers with the reasons why I want to do this. Right. And the reasons way, way, way more heavier. Right. So you're always going to find if you have that wherewithal within you to figure out those personal core values that are pushing you forward then you're always going to have the strength to take another step. Right. No, I, I love that because I always tell people if, if you have a dream, but it's kind of surface level and there's no emotion or there's nothing like tied to it, there's no like bigger purpose or like a, a, a burning desire to do it. It's just, oh yeah, I want to do it because well, why? Just because I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Well, that's not or great. Like you, you know, I'd give it a 50, 50 shot if you're going to do it because then really the only reason you'd accomplish it is because you have an ego because you mm-hmm. tell people you do it, which, you know, if it works, like if great, it works, it works. It works. You know, but like I've always wanted to do, like I, anybody tells me I can't do something, I'm like, I watch me. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, okay, now like a lot of that would be, you know, I just, I've always wanted to be able to say I push myself to a limit where people told me that I couldn't even ever run again or do anything again or, or that I wasn't really going to make it past a certain age or, you know, different things with the issues. Now, obviously got to make sure that I clear, you know, my, my doctor says, you know, something, but. <laughs> You know, I work up there. It gives me six months to to work to work yeah. that way, or nine months, I guess now. Yeah, nine months. And when you hit, and when people hit that breaking point, I guarantee you can always push harder. Right, right. Guarantee. Well, I saw that this weekend. You know, working out with Andy Elliott. Um, 
you know, I wanted to quit the entire time. <laughs> I mean, everything <laughs> hurts so bad. And I was in really crappy shoes because I didn't know we were running. We always usually do like these CrossFit style exercises. So I brought like basically like the flat, like little Nike mm -hmm. Metcon CrossFit shoes. And we had to run three miles, you know, up and back a hill. And I'm like, I am not in the right. So I was trying to sit there and make excuses for myself the entire time. And then, but it was cool because they have an entire staff and team that are like these Greek gods of people motivating you the entire way and nice. literally grabbing your, like smacking you in the butt saying, let's go pick it up. Let's go. Like that's cool. in the entire time, like, and like it was up until the last person, they all turned back around and ran in with the last, it was just super cool to have people like that with you. So, you know, it did help. One thing that I want to want to get into that you've like, you've accomplished so many things, right? Like you've, you've done the seven summits. You've let's get in. I want to tell me about the, <laughs> tell me about the skiing, the North and the South pole. Cause I like, that's kind of like, I've never heard of that before. And what's weird is they're, they're very, very different. <clears throat> Antarctica is very dry. It's, it's the driest desert in the world. Most people don't know that. It gets uh, yeah, like this much precipitation that. a year. Really? Um, it's just blowing snow. And it's, it's a glacier on top of a continent, landmass, right? Right. So when you're at the South Pole, you are literally standing on 10,000 foot thick glaciers. Wow. And what's crazy is, you know, you, you can't go on Travelocity.com and book a vacation to the South Pole. You have to rent or charter a plane through a company, a company's always, they, they're people who do this all the time. Right. Um, when you land there, then you hop on a twin otter with skis. Mm -hmm. Since you're a, you said a yep. plane there, so you hop on a twin otter with skis and then you land out in the middle of nowhere, they drop you off. And then you take your gear, uh, which is a sled, backpack, stuff like that. When the plane takes off, it's just silence. Really? There's, there's nothing down there to make noise. Kind of feeling alone, a little alone. Yeah, and it, that, that's when it really hits you. You're like, I am thousands of miles away from the nearest hospital. Yeah. Thousands. And if, if, if something happens, I am potentially a week out from fixing a broken leg. Wow. <laughs> and that kind of hits you a little hard. When yeah. You think about that. Yeah. So skiing there, it was, it was interesting because we had the, the hole in the ozone above us and the sun never set. It just does a big circle, mm -hmm. right? Because of the time of year and the tilt of the earth. So what's crazy is on one side of the tent, you know, the tent's, six feet wide maybe i'm sitting over here the sun's blasting through it's like 85 degrees over here really because of the sun's radiation and as it's going across you know i'm slowly pulling my sleeping bag over i'm just sleeping in my boxes at this point you know my underwear because it's so hot on this side and then when the sun goes over here and i'm in the shade it it dips down to like 30 wow you know and it'll get to negative 20 Wow. So in six, in the span of six feet, just because of the radiation, the relative temperature differentiates maybe a hundred degrees. Wow. Insane. That's incredible. Um, and then hitting, heading down and we just kept obviously going south, south, further south. There's the South Pole Research Station. They do a ton of stuff there. And these guys are off the chart smart. Um, you know, I saw like an arts and crafts room kind of like this mm -hmm. and they're not making macaroni necklaces. They're like fixing hard, you know, like motherboards for computers right. and stuff like that. Right. Um, they're also detecting neutrinos that are blasting through the earth and this thing called, I think it's an ice cube or an ice block. Um, but it was super dry and it was so hot yet at the same time, so cold. The North pole, however, <clears throat> the North pole was very humid because if you look at the northern polar ice cap, it's just ice floating on water. Right. Right. So it's like a, a, a glass of water with some ice cubes floating on, on a right. massive scale. 
And what happens is there are currents flowing underneath. And because the currents are flowing underneath, it splits the ice apart. Really? And you can hear it like, sounds just like that. Like rips it apart and you'll have these open leads. So you can actually approach an open lead with this much ice between you and the water. And you look down in it and because it's so deep, it just goes straight down, right? It's so deep and so cold and so thick, it looks like oil. Really? Right. So you have to, and you have to ski across this thing. And the first thought you get is, well, if I fall in, I'm dead. Right. Like I'm not warm enough from that. There's no place to like, there's no long, you know, thousand mile extension cord that we're plugging into a heater. Right. So when we're up there, we can hear these ice leads, these, these ice chunks floating around. But what's insane too, is because of these currents. One day we, we skied five miles North, set up our camp, went to sleep and because the current was flowing against us, we floated three miles backwards in our sleep. Wow. On this giant chunk of ice. Wow. And we woke up and we were like, well, we have to make up three miles before right. we even get to where we went to sleep. Right. That's incredible. So how, how, how deep is the snow or the, the ice up in the North Pole? You know, it, it depends. There were some sections where I would say it was about this thick that we skied across. Really? And it, you could tell it froze overnight. Um, because it was like a really hard slushy material. Wow. And just skiing across like, shh, 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 you know, it's just like a slushy. Um, and then there are some sections where there's a chunk of ice, I don't know, 30 feet thick, maybe it's, wow. it's just, it's all jumbled up. So what, uh, you guys, how, how long did you travel? Like how far that, did you that took go? about 10 days? Really? Yeah. So you just go across the, just kept going North. And then we, when we got to the North pole, we radioed back to the people with the helicopter. The Russians run everything up there. They, they love vodka in the cold for some reason. <laughs> so when we got up there, we sent them our GPS location, which was 90 degrees north. Um, and then the next morning, we had so to send them another So you hit like perfect line. North Pole? North Pole, yeah. Really? Yeah, we were following the GPS. And when we got up there, we had to loop around to actually find it because we were on the moving ice. Right. So the, the, the North Pole, essentially, it wasn't moving. We were moving. But we had to chase the North Pole to get to wow. it. Wow. That's incredible. So on the South Pole, did you hit South? Like hit South Pole, South? yeah, no problem. Really? Yeah. And actually there they have this barbershop, like red and white striped pole with a giant silver globe on top, surrounded by, I want to say, 14 flags. They all have this um, treaty to protect Antarctica. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like right at the South Pole? Right at the South That's Pole. That's kind of cool. The movies are real. Yeah. Santa Claus too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's North Pole, but man, that's incredible. What made you want to go to the North and South Pole? That's, that was part of, so after the seven summits, there's this thing called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which I think sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter. <laughs> um, it's the seven summits and the two poles. So it's called the Explorer's Grand Slam or the Adventure's Grand Slam. And I, I wanted to do, to do all that and be the first Kansas Fire to do that as well. That's incredible. Like I, Geez, that's awesome, man. Like I, I, there's so much, I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories in Antarctica, but I've always wanted to go down there and like, just, I know there's like some, some tours and some stuff that you can go down there. And like you said, you got to go do a certain company and they charter a plane out of somewhere in Chile, Chile, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Somewhere yeah, out of there. And then, yeah. Um, Mendoza. Go, yeah. And then they go South. You're there for a little bit. And then wait, no, not Mendoza. Mendoza is Argentina. Flying to Santiago. Then you go to Punta Arenas. And then to Ushuaia, Ushuaia down. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. How, so how long is that? I mean, I guess I never really thought about it. How long is that from basically the tip of South America to Antarctica? It's a great question. Or, I want to say it's a five-hour, six-hour flight maybe. Jeez, it's a lot What's longer. cool is we flew in a, um, a Russian Aleutian. 
And what was amazing is when we took off, it was dark, but then as we flew south, it started to get lighter and lighter and lighter. Wow, that's incredible. That is one place, that's like a bucket list. I don't know how you go there, but I think it'd be awesome. It's so cool. I would love to go back. I've been there twice, climbing the, the highest mountain and then the South Pole, but I'd love to take my wife there. For sure, that's awesome. So what made you get into the adventure expedition like thing? I mean, like, like all of a sudden it was like, yeah, just, you know, I think I'm gonna do the seven summits right. and you know, the poles and heck I'll throw the Hawaii Ironman in it too. Yeah. I don't know if I was going to say long story short, but I don't think I can do a long story short. With oh, let's this get one. into it. Um, well, I had going back to the cancer, I had the cancers from 13 to basically 18 years old. Right. Right. My whole developmental years of my life. So while most people were worried about this, that, the other thing, I was worried about survival. Like there were nights I went to bed being terrified to close my eyes because I didn't know if I was going to wake up the next day. Wow. You know, in and out, in, out, in, out, day in, day out for a year. Wow. It was like that. Um, I was in a medically induced coma for a year of my life. You know, I don't remember being 16 years old. Wow. So I went to college. I turned into a party animal. It was like a $100,000 party. Thanks, mom and dad. That was great. Um, graduated, went to Jacksonville, Florida. was working on my master's and my doctorate for psycho-oncology. I wanted to be a psychologist for cancer patients. Figured wow. everything I went through, as, as we all know, cancer is not an individual disease. Everybody goes through it, right? Right. So I wanted to help the patients. I wanted to help the, the parents. I wanted to help the support team, the caregivers, all of that. You know, I wanted to help the, the team, the whole holistically. Right. And while I was down there working on my degrees, I was working like four or five jobs. One of them was bartending at the largest club in Jacksonville. I was flipping liquor. And uh, one night this girl came up and she was just hammered. And she sits down. She's like, you know, my friends left me. Can you take me home? And inside, I'm like, sweet, yeah, no problem. Right. Um, but as we're going up over the intercoastal, I remember her just like in the passenger seat, literally just, you know, getting ready to vomit every devil out of her. So I let her get that out of her, take her to her, her apartment. And uh, I carry her, she's passed out. I carry her up like three flights of steps and I'm holding her in my, my arms, kicking, like literally kicking the door. You know, it's like, what? 34 in the morning or something wow. like that. And I'm kicking the door and somebody opens the door and I just shove her. I'm like, does she belong to you? And the girl looks at me, she goes again. So wow. I took her inside and dropped her off on a chair. And as I was leaving, I saw lines of Coke, heroin needles, pills, you name it, everything that you could possibly think of. Wow. And as I was driving home, I'm like, where is my life taking me? If I continue down this path in my life, I've, I've never done that stuff, never will. And I realized I was so far removed from the ethical and moral Midwest guy that my parents raised. Right. Right. The family values were gone. You know, I was doing stuff with people who were drug addicts and I, it just wasn't me, but I hadn't been paying attention to the decisions I was making. I was making improper decisions based on who I was as a person. Right. So then I realized, okay, I need to change. I literally dropped out of school the next day. I quit the job. I started focusing on, wait, what do I want? Because the whole time going through these cancers, I never stopped to look at myself proverbially, proverbially and literally look at myself in the mirror and ask myself, who are you? Right. You know, how many people go through life without taking time, not just out of their day, but out of their entire lives to ask that question? Right. You know, how many people truly know themselves? Right. So I, I, I finally did that. I was like, how does this 
cancer, how did it affect me? Like, well, I have a choice in how I want it to affect me, and I want to do something good with it. Right. It's a horrible experience, but it was also one of the best experiences I've ever had. Right. And I wanted to use that for good, you know, use with, with great, great uh, power comes great responsibility. Exactly. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to use that superpower, you know, the mind-body connection, and go do something amazing. Right. And show other cancer, people who are touched by cancer, to show other people touched by cancer that you literally can do anything. You know, cancer is not a death sentence. Right. Just because you got diagnosed doesn't mean you're going to die. And right. life after cancer can be tremendous. And now it's turned into life after anything traumatic can be a tremendous life, but you have right. to choose that life. Right. So that's when I did some research and found, okay, if I just climbed Mount Everest, I could use it literally as the highest platform in the world to give people something I never had, which is hope. Right. Hope that there's something else. No, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there just wanting to say thank you for doing that because you, I mean, giving, giving someone hope, like you're know, not necessarily giving them in a hand hand out, right. But a hand up and hope is almost more than you can ever do for anybody because when people have hope, I mean, they have a dream, they have something to wake up for. They have something to take every step right. for. They have, I mean, like now, you know, going back to when you're summiting Everest and you know, you're taking, you know, a few minutes, just every step, right. There's a reason behind right every there. single step, right? Yeah, and the flag next right. to your heart, like that. I, I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, it's kind of like when uh, the story of Buster Douglas when he knocked out Mike Tyson is his, yeah. his, you know, his mom said beat Mike Tyson, and a couple of days before the fight, she passed away, and he didn't really say anything to anybody, and he got knocked down and you know back up, and then ended up knocking out Mike Tyson. I mean, when you have a, a you know, a dream and, and hope and a reason to do something. It, it unlocks a level that some people don't even know exists. And like, Absolutely. I, I wish every single people could experience that, but it all starts, you know, with your, but they your can. mind. Yeah. That's the thing. They can, like yeah. I, for the longest time I would, I would be giving um, keynote presentations and people would come up to me and say, Oh, it's a great story. And I, I appreciate that. Cause I want to hear their stories too. If two years and one mouth for a reason. Right. And there'd be a handful of people who'd come up afterwards and say, well, how did you do it? Because my first goal was to literally crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom. I was throw, vomiting on myself for 36 hours straight. I was tired of it. Right. You know, and at the time, I didn't know that there was this linear path that I took. And then looking at Kilimanjaro, I've been up there now 24 times. And the average success rate on the mountain is 48%. My groups are at 99% success rate. Wow. So I think we're doing something differently. And I kind of put those two together and came up with a three-week mental wellness challenge called the Big Hill Challenge that helps people pick and utilize their own personal core values to give them exactly what you said. Right. I love that. It's so needed in the world, especially right now. Like, you know, with the, the markets, economy, this person, that person, everybody's blaming everything. I mean, right. it's no one's really taking ownership of their own self and their own economy because good economy, bad economy, whatever president, you know, we can control. There's a lot that we can control with our own self, right? And I think that people just get, it goes back to when you're talking about you know, just thinking about not dying is, you know, living. And I think people just kind of like, oh, this is, I'm just going to avoid do this or like, you know, avoid this or like focus on, I guess, not losing money or like, you know, whatever. And just like existing until the next president or existing until this happens or that happens. And it's like, no, actually you can live your life every single day, no matter what, you know, like I always say people are going to be successful no matter what economy, no matter what day it is, there's going to be people, people successful, people overcoming things in their own personal life. Why not you? Absolutely. And, and, and it's your, based on your own perspective. 
You know, if you're going to sit there and complain about this, that, and the other thing and say, you know, this president sucks, the economy is awful. Well, no matter what happens, it's never going to be good enough for you. Right. Right. <laughs> and you, and you, like, you know, there, I'm pre- I got a bunch of people like, you can control it. Okay. Well, that aside, <laughs> you know, you can only control what you can control and okay, your vote and whatever. Like, let's not get into the weeds of right, it. Right. But you can control how you live your life intentionally every single day. And you wake up to live, you play to win, you wake up with intentions, you wake up everything you do has a reason behind it and it starts momentum. And when you have momentum, like, okay, I did one, you know, summit in Everest and I can do another one. And then, Oh, you know, not only am I going to do Kilimanjaro once, I'll do it 24 times and then I'll start bringing people with me and then I'll create, like it starts momentum, but it's just that first step, that first step. Like, you know, we were running this weekend with Andy Elliott. People were literally walking down the hill and you know, everybody, I'm like, why are you walking down the hill? Like literally that's when you can make up the most ground. Cause I, I started making bigger steps. I was like, Hey, I'm going to get there that much faster. Cause I'm sick of running or I'm sick of being out here. I don't want to go slower. And it's just that momentum will take you, but you have to start it. Like it's, it's an object that stays in motion or an object. What is the the saying is object that stays in motion or an object that yeah, an is object, in motion, stays in motion. An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Right. You just got to start the motion, right? It's not going to just sit here. And it doesn't say that a, an outside force is going to start the motion, right? You have to make a decision right. to start the motion and then stay in motion. And then however you deal with adversity is those outside forces. But, you know, in my brain, just keep pushing forward. Why not? One thing I want to talk about too, um, you know, real quick is you talk about, you know, you've accomplished so many things in your life. I mean, the summits, beating cancer, you know, multiple summits of Mount Kilimanjaro, bringing people, you're doing all these amazing things. Um, how, you know, one of your big things is finding purpose, like after you accomplish your why, or you find your why, or like how, you know, let, let's get into that because I think that that's so powerful. We were just talking about like my wife a little bit, love my wife, you know, and she's always wanted a baby, 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 baby. And then now that we have the baby, she's like, now what? Right. Because this, like, and she's in the you know the most amazing moment in the world, but you know I feel like that happens to a lot of women, but happens to a lot of people. It's like now that I accomplish something, like is this like, now what? You know, it's it's interesting because when I when I reached the North Pole, it was a culmination of the Explorers Grand Slam, you know, the seven summits, the South Pole, and the North Pole. That was it. So was the North last, or the North was the last one? And I remember getting up there. I had a, a on each each one of the continents. I had a flag at the names to people touched by cancer at the North pole. It was a flag that was probably like six and a half feet by five feet, huge thousands of names, right? Get to the top, get to the North pole and like, okay, this is a culmination of how many years of, of chasing a dream and chasing a goal. I get home. I fall into a depression. Really? I'm like, well, I've been chasing after this elusive thing for the past say 10 years now what do I do? Right. I'm like, what, what else is there? Like, I've explored the world. I, I've literally seen every single continent from the highest point. I've been to the South Pole. I've been to the North Pole. I've seen what the world has to offer. Now what? Right. So I fell into this, this depression for the longest time. You know, wow. I'm, I'm assuming something like what, what you said your wife potentially mm-hmm. is going through because, you right. know, she's wanted a child for so long and all of a sudden she got, well, now what? Right. And right. so then I, I, again, I took a step back and I realized, okay, what was the point and what was the purpose for doing this? And I, I, I'm, I, 
hate to get the ego involved, but one of them was probably to prove that I was still alive. Like I want to do this for me right? to prove I can still do these things after seeing death how many times and people telling me you can't do that. It's physiologically impossible to climb Everest with one lung. Well, I did. Um, That's incredible. <laughs> and when I got to the North Pole, I was like, okay, well, why am I doing it? It's, it's not for me. It's for other people who need that hope. So now maybe what I can do is find a different purpose and use what I've been through, use those, those expeditions, use those, those uh, experiences to give back to other people and encourage them to do it, you know, kind of be the coach now, right. You know, to coach other people, right. To help them find a deeper purpose in what they're doing. And then going back and looking at what I went through, I was like, okay, that was kind of fun. The process became the goal to enjoy the process became the goal. Right. And there's such a bigger purpose now. I mean, it, it, it's right. amazing because, you know, I'm sure, I mean, and you've, I'm sure you've helped thousands. Right? I mean, there's, a, I mean, taking all those groups up to Kilimanjaro, I mean, all, all those things that, you know, finding, you know, your purpose and, you know, through your speaking, your book, I mean, but you had to go through the journey, right. To be able to, to do this. And it, it's cool because, you know, and, and, and maybe you didn't think about what, like after, right? Like your, fo- your, your mind was so focused on the goal that maybe it didn't yeah. really hit you until you're like, boom, you know, stake on the North Pole. And then, you're, then ah, we did it. We yeah. did a hugs. Like now, and then it's yeah. like, you know, okay, well, I guess. That was fun. Going home. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, like go home. because I'm sure every other time was you stake the flag and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm so excited. On to the next one. Yeah. On to the next one. On exactly. to the next one. Like right when you get back, it's training for the next one. And then that last one, it's like, well, now what? And now you know, done. you see it a lot in you know people that retire from sports teams or different things where they do all this and they kind of really struggle to find their identity. Um, quite often, they get lost in you know craziness of life and end up you know broke, homeless, and different things. I mean, it's crazy to see. You know, I love basketball. I grew up playing basketball, and like see these like superstars in my eyes, and then all of a sudden you hear about yeah. them on social media, and they're like, you know, living homeless or different things. And I'm like, you know, but but when you when you only can attach your identity to something, and then you have no reason to live after i mean it's it's hard but you know we oftentimes we don't have that coach but you can be that light in someone's life like it shines so bright that they have to see it that they that there is life after they accomplish something that there is light i mean like to live your life every day not just exist every single day i mean that's an incredible thing i mean i i I mean that's awesome (laughs) because i I, we need it in the world it's right. it, it, it's it's interesting because you always talk talk about how today's a great day. Every every morning I wake up and I, I encourage people to do something similar, something that matters to them. I, I don't touch my phone for the first thirty minutes. You know, there's so many people be so many people who do that. They grab their phone, they start going through email, they go through social media, whatever it might be. With the instant they wake up, in the first fifteen minutes of waking up, your brain you are allowing your brain to be programmed by other outside forces. Right. As opposed to taking time in that first 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it might be, whatever you need to program your brain based on how you want to react to anything that might happen. Right. So that way you're, you're setting the foundation. You are setting it the way you want it to be. Right. And then how many people, when they go to bed, that's the last thing they're doing as well. They're literally bookending their day on a negative note and allowing their brains to be programmed by other forces and other things who have different morals, values, whatever. Right. When I wake up in the morning, the instant my eyes open, I have an affirmation. I tell myself, the past is gone. There's nothing I can do about it. Tomorrow may never come. No matter what happens today, today is the best day ever. Right. And it's literally my choice to make it that way. 
And when I go to bed, my wife and I actually have a journal, but my wife and I share five things that happened that day that we're grateful for. Not health, uh, family, those are given, right? right. We know that. Those are given personal core values. Right. But I would say, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for meeting two amazing guys. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the beautiful mountains, whatever it might be, that happened that day, five things. And then we journal or talk about one of them, say, I'm most grateful for this because of that reason, whatever reason. Right. And that, that connecting word because helps you tap into a deeper purpose. And you do that every day, every night, day in, day out. Just do it. Try it for three weeks. What do you have to lose, right? right. But if you do it day in, day out for years and years and years, you now start developing this attitude of gratitude and it comes back to you a thousandfold. You can go to bed and sleep through the night because you're you're going to sleep thinking about all the things you're grateful for, not all the stuff you have to worry about at work or tomorrow for the right. kids, whatever it might be. Right. You're focusing on positive building things. Right. No, I, I love that. And, and one, you know, I can already see that's going to build a relationship with you and your wife. And Absolutely. You, you know, whoever's out there, you and your significant other. But two is, I mean, you know, I'm kind of looking at me like you know, sometimes I'll quick and hurry, boom, answer a bunch of emails. And then sometimes like, you know, then it, then it takes me like an hour and a half, two hours to fall asleep. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I just screwed my whole, cause I try to wake up at five 30, go to the gym, come home, you know, get ready for, you know, what's going on. Or, um, you know, I have to, I got dealerships that are kind of far away. So sometimes I'm up super early driving to, you know, to be there by eight or nine in the morning. And, but then, you know, then I'm like mad at myself because now it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm just staring and just, I can't shut my brain. off. I have a really hard time shutting my brain off, but you know, but I, now that you're saying that I do th- find myself grabbing my phone, hurrying, reading a bunch of, e- or even sometimes won't even answer them back, just read through them. Well, now that's all I can think about. And then I'm okay. Well now I'm going to answer them back. Right. And then, you know, like, but you know, I definitely got to be more intentional with that. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to take that the, that advice leave, for leave sure. Leave the phone out of the room. Yeah, I definitely need to. Plug it I, I used to have my phone. Well now, cause baby was in our room. So I had to like have my alarm like right next to my ear so I could hurry and shut it off. Cause don't wake the baby up. But now she's not in a room, um, so I used to have my phone in the bathroom and on super loud. So when the alarm would go off, <laughs> you got a bed. I had to walk up and go turn the alarm off, and then I'm all, well, I'm already at the sink. Let's just roll. And so I I, I need to, I got out of that habit, you know, for the last five five months, four months. Um, you know, that's yeah. I guess I never really even thought about it. You know, and and it's interesting too when people and I'm just saying like in general when people wake up, they have a, a pattern that they go through every day. Mm-hmm. right? What do dads do when they wake up? What do moms do when they wake up? What do meteorologists do when they wake up? What do Olympic athletes do when they wake up? Right. You know, they have a set pattern. How many people, when the alarm goes off, they hit snooze? Oh, everybody. I mean, a lot of people. Let's say you do that again and again and again and again and again. You are subconsciously programming your brain to tell yourself, there's nothing exciting for me out there. Right. But when your alarm goes off and you're out of bed, you don't hit the snooze. Because it reminded me when you had your phone in the bathroom, like I'm up out of bed, you can't hit the snooze. But you do that day in, day out, day in, day out. You're getting out of bed excited as opposed to, eh, I'm not excited about today. Right. People need to start paying attention to those little things that make a huge difference over time. It's called the compound effect. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Sean, last thing I want to ask you, man, this has been a great conversation. I I could talk to you all day long. Um, Last thing I want to ask you is how do you define success? Of everything that you've done, how do you define success? I'm going to tweak that a little bit and say I'm not searching for the definition or I don't want to be, I don't want to find success. I want to constantly succeed. I love that. 
That's a very, I mean, I, I don't think, Vinny, I don't think we've heard it put like that on the show after 70, I don't know how many episodes we're at. How many episodes we're at? 77 episodes. And that probably is one of the more profound answers I've ever had. Cool. Because it's, yeah, I like that. Because success I, isn't, a, is, isn't a destination where I get to, and I'm all of a sudden successful. Because when I'm successful, when I get to the top of a mountain, I'm always going to want to climb something else. Right. So I'm just going to want to constantly succeed in life. Right. No, I love that. that there's so much to that. that. That's extremely powerful. If you're listening to this, go back and listen to that again. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can even break it down a day by day. It's just succeed today yeah. and succeed today and succeed. Whatever your definition is, you know, whatever that, that moment is of success, right? Like, it just succeed every day. And, you know, like you said, the compound effect, it will compound into, Absolutely. You, know, then, you know, one day you might look up and be like, wow, I, it's like, you know, staring at the ground, going up a hill, uh-huh. all you're doing is staring at the ground and then you look up and be like, oh, I'm here. Cool. Yeah. And you can turn like, around and look at how far you came. Yeah. I mean, I was doing that this weekend. I was like, oh my gosh. But I, I, when I was coming around the corner and I saw the hill, I did everything in my body wanted to turn back. But I just honestly stared at the ground in front of me and I would never look up because I knew when I looked up, I would get discouraged. But I actually climbed it quicker than I thought. And I was getting passed by people that thought they were Olympic athletes and stuff. But I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep step by step. And then I got there and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm glad that I didn't know. I mean, we had no idea how they just go to the end of the street and come back. Okay, cool. He said it was less than two miles. It was more than three. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, which some of you guys might think that a mile is not that long, but it, it wrecked me. I'm still sore. I can't, I can hardly move from it. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you sharing what you shared. This is an extremely powerful episode. I can't wait for everybody to listen to it. I can't wait for this to go out all over social media and YouTube um, because there's so many life lessons, especially, you know, me personally right now, um, our company, I'm definitely going to share this with our entire company and make sure they listen to it. But there's just so much going on in this world that, that the world needs a light like you, man. And I just yeah. want to say thank you on behalf of, you know, millions of people. Thank you what you're doing. I appreciate that, man. I really do. And maybe, uh, maybe we can get your employees signed up for the big hill challenge. I'll see you in, uh, in Nepal in October. Definitely need to make something happen. I get, no, that, that sounds epic. Cool. Sounds epic. If you like this episode, please share the heck out of it. Follow Sean on social media. Sean, what is your social media? Sean Swanner. There it easiest, is. Easiest question you've asked. There it me. is. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Make sure you follow him on social media. He's got great content on there. Um, and yeah, if you want to get involved in anything he does, you know, go to, he's got a, got a website. Yep, right? SeanSwanner.com. Yep, got a website, got social media, um, all kinds of good stuff on there. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that need it. And again, if you like this episode, please share it. And we will see you on the next episode of Culture Camp. Thank you. <laughs>